God willing, we are going to finish the gospel in Mark this morning, and then we will resume our little series, Jewels in Jeremiah. And I think not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, we've got a number of dedications in our morning service, so that will be a dedication service. So for this morning, the end of Mark chapter 16, Mark finished writing his gospel properly in verse 8 of this chapter. But then as an appendix, he gives these notes, uh, which is still the word of God, and he just summarizes Jesus after he raised himself from the dead, appearing to a number of people. Mary Magdalene, the first, and then the two as they walked to Emmaus, verses 12 and 13. We looked at that the last time I was here. And finally, from verse 14 to the end, he appears to the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas Iscariot had killed himself, so there were only 11 of them. And what he does is give them what we call the Great Commission. That's the message, uh, the purpose of the church. So if you're wondering what's Christianity all about, what's the church about? There's a lot of talk today about doing church, especially in these weird uh, circumstances we've been in this last year. This is what it's all about. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You'll have a fuller version of that in the last chapter of Matthew. So this is what we want to look at today. Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven to his disciples. We take notes, don't we, of somebody's last words. There's a significance to them. And we should put much more weight on what Jesus said immediately before he was taken. But before we look at that, did you notice a recurring phrase in the reading? Did you notice? Mark is summarizing Jesus appearing to different people. And after Mary Magdalene had a visit... And she went and told the other disciples, what are we told? But they did not believe. After he appeared, like last time, to the two as they walked to Emmaus, and then they ran back to Jerusalem and told the rest, what was their response? But they did not believe them either. And so the third time now, Jesus appearing to the 11 disciples, before giving them the commission, he rebukes them for their unbelief. If you're not a Christian this morning, the sin of sins is not all the wrong things you may be doing wrong, unbelief unbelief that's the root sin other things 
come from it. If you are a Christian here this morning, have you got rid of unbelief? None of us will be rid of it until we get to heaven. Our prayer right to the end will always have to be, Lord, I do believe, help thou mine unbelief. Thank God it's not perfect faith that saves us. It's faith in a perfect saviour. So here's J.C. Ryle. Uh, I've quoted him often in our studies in Mark. He was the great bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century. Let us cease to feel surprise when we find doubts arising in our own hearts. We are yet in the body. We are men and women of like passions with the apostles. We must count it no strange thing if our experience is sometimes like theirs and if our faith like theirs sometimes gives way. Let us resist unbelief manfully, but let us not conclude that we have no grace because we are sometimes harassed by doubts. If these disciples, after spending three years with Jesus Christ, believing in him, still had doubts, then let us be encouraged if we find ourselves in the same position. Now then, what we want to look at this morning is this commission, these last words that Jesus gives to his disciples before he leaves them. What are we about? Why have we got a mission? Why do we bother turning up Sunday after Sunday? What's church? Well, my first point is this, the message of the commission the message of the commission. If somebody gives you a commission, uh, when I was a boy, I was given often, I'm making it sound a bit grand, but I was given a commission by my mother to go to the newsagent to buy the newspaper. So she gave me a message to go and buy the newspaper. What's the commission? What's the message that Jesus has given to the church? Well, it's very clear in verse 15. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel. That's the message of the commission. The gospel. Now, we call our Sunday morning services a gospel service. Do you know what gospel means? If you go over the Seven Bridge and drive up the M5 you will see the Cotswolds on your right-hand side, some beautiful countryside. And then you will see a monument, quite a tall monument, standing near the village of North Nibley. That monument is called the Tyndale Monument to commemorate William Tyndale, who is from that area. And he's the one who first translated the New Testament into English. And our English Bibles today are really based on Tyndale. And this is his definition of gospel. I like this. 
It comes from the Greek word evangelion. We get evangelical from it. And what does it mean? It signifies good, merry, glad, joyful news. This is Tyndale now. He lived many centuries ago. That makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. Isn't that amazing? Gospel means good news, happy news, amazing news that causes a response of amazement, however you wish to show that. What's wrong with us? If that's what gospel means, have we lost our view of the good news? Would people coming to this church say of us, these people, even though we may be restrained, I've got nothing against that, they've got good news to share. Whatever this church is about, this is what we can tell about them. They are joyful and they've got good news. Interestingly, it's not good vibrations, good vibes. It's good news. Good news is a declaration. Uh, it's a cliche, I know. But when you read the news or watch the news, it's mostly bad news. But what the newsreader does, what Hugh Edwards does, is announce something. And that's what the church is here to do, to announce something good. Now then, what is it? What is this good news? I mentioned Elwyn Davis a few Sundays ago. He was used by God to start the evangelical movement of Wales, which we have benefited a great deal from. And this is back in the middle of the last century, the 20th century. Elwyn had just been doing a mission somewhere. I think it was Llanfairfechan in North Wales. And he was returning on the train and somewhere near Llandidno, he met an old minister, right? An old minister. And he asked this young man, Elwyn, what have you been doing? Where have you been? And Elwyn said, I've been doing a mission. I've been doing a mission. And this is what the old minister said, well done. Well done. At the end of my journey, I've had to come back to something that was said to me when I was very young and starting as a pastor. And he referred to someone who had explained to him the ABC of Christianity. A, all have sinned. B, behold the Lamb of God. C, come unto me. And then Elwin added, he was explaining to us that he had left the ABC, but at the end of his life was having to admit his mistake and return, return to the gospel. Isn't that lovely? Now, we may not have left the ABC in our heads, but sometimes there's a saying, isn't there? Familiarity 
breeds contempt. Sometimes we just get so used to the old, old story of Jesus and his love that it ceases to amaze us. Don't we need the commission of Jesus again? Don't we need to be recommissioned? All have sinned. Dear me, you say, I thought the gospel was good news. That doesn't sound like good news. Well, that's the bad news that comes before the good news. Why do we need Jesus Christ to save us? We need a saviour, not because we have problems in our life and we need a fix. We need saving from sin. All have sinned. This horrible spiritual disease. And all the needs, the felt needs that people have today. And uh, you uh, run out of them, don't you? The list is so long. It all arises from a heart problem. And we call that sin. Sin. Whether we come to church, whether we don't come to church whether we are respectable, whether we are all out sinners, it's still the same problem. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, said Jeremiah. And all of us have sinful hearts. We forget that, don't we? And then, behold the Lamb of God. That's wonderful. Gospel is God spell. It means that we don't save ourselves. We can't. Who can give themselves a new heart? We can't. Who can make themselves spiritually alive? Impossible. But God has done what you and I cannot do. How did the Gospel of Mark start? Well, it started very simply. The beginning of the Gospel, not of Mark. God forbid, it's not your gospel it's not my gospel it's not do it yourself salvation it's the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god behold him he's the one who sorts us out and takes us out of the mess we've got ourselves into as a result of sin and how did he do it well as we've been looking from the middle of mark's gospel when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, he recognized that Jesus, yes, was a man, but was also God, the God-man, the perfect one. From that moment onwards, Jesus taught them one thing, that he came to die. He came to die because he came to die as the sacrificial lamb. All the Old Testament was preparing the way for it. God's people were taught that without the shedding of blood, without a sacrifice, the lamb without blemish, there can be no forgiveness. And then Jesus Christ came, and he came to sacrifice himself on that cross. That's the good news, my friend. You and I don't do anything. Jesus Christ has done everything on our behalf. Behold, look. Where are we looking this morning? 
is Christ, our only hope. Mr. Hyam put his finger on it. Great is the gospel. Isn't it? Great. Of our glorious God. What makes it great? It's not just that Christ is a great saviour, but that on the cross he made a great sacrifice. Why? Where mercy met the anger of God's wrath. We all deserve God's judgments upon our sin. But a penalty was paid, not by us, but by him. And pardon bought, and sinners lost at last to him were bought. Oh, let the praises of my heart be thine, for Christ has died. Behold the Lamb of God dying in our place, that I may call him mine. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is Christ and him crucified in your place, in my place. We can't save ourselves, but Christ has done what we couldn't do. Doesn't that fill your heart with gladness? And then secondly, the message of the commission is the gospel. But what are the terms? What are the terms of the commission? Uh, you know, if you get um, a letter through the post, uh, we still get these, don't we? Congratulations, it says. Your name has been entered on a short list to win a million pounds or something like that. And it sounds too good to be true because it is. You open the envelope and read the letter and then you see the small print, the terms and the conditions. And you realise, no, I haven't got a chance. What are the terms of this gospel Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here are the terms. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Believe and be baptized. Do you want to be saved from sin, from eternal condemnation? Christ has done everything. On the cross, finished. But I must come to Christ, the C in the ABC. What is it to come to Christ? It's to believe, believe and be baptised. What do we find in Matthew, in the commission there? Something similar, go, teach and baptise people. That is, baptise people who believe when they hear the gospel being preached. What do we find when the church begins to do this in the book of Acts, just in the first few chapters? We find Peter on the day of Pentecost, as we looked at recently, standing up, and people feel their need, they're convicted of sin, and what does Peter say to them? Interestingly, he doesn't use the word believe, he says repent and be baptised. Repent and be baptised, isn't that interesting? So what does this mean? What are the terms? If I want to be saved, what have I got to do with Jesus Christ? I've got to say this. Baptism is important. Jesus commands, if we believe in him, 
that we are to be baptized. But baptism isn't the terms of salvation. Why do I say that? Listen to the commission. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say he who does not believe and does not get baptized will be condemned. So faith is the term. Yes, uh, we must be baptized, but not in order to be saved. It's because Jesus has commanded it. It's a sign that we're already saved. Don't think of baptism as something essential to make you a Christian. It's not. But it's still important because it's a command. But my point this morning isn't baptism. It's saving faith. Saving faith. J.C. Ryle again. We are taught here the absolute necessity of faith in Christ to salvation. This is the one thing needful. He that believeth not is the one that shall be lost forever. He may have been baptized and made a member of the church. He may be regular at the Lord's table. He may even believe intellectually all the leading doctrines, but all shall profit him nothing if he lacks saving faith in Christ. And then Ryle asks, have we this faith? This is the great question that concerns us all. Except we feel our sins and feeling them flee to Christ by faith and lay hold on him, we shall find that length we had better never have been born. Very strong words. The terms is believe and be saved. So have I got saving faith? Have you got saving faith? What's saving faith? It's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing about these things. It's not just assenting to them. That is agreeing that they're true. It is those two things, but it's more than that. Saving faith is, how can I put it? Coming to Christ. Not physically but in our hearts we turn from sin and we turn to Christ, acknowledging that we can't save ourselves and that he alone can do it. In other words, it's trusting Jesus Christ. So how do I explain in Acts that often it's repent and be saved and not believe and be saved? Well, that's quite simple. Faith, saving faith, is repentant faith. And true repentance is believing repentance. So whether it's the word faith that is used or the word repentance that is used, it doesn't matter because like Siamese twins, they go together. You can't separate them. So my question to you and to me this morning is, have we believed in Jesus Christ according to the terms and conditions here? He who believes will be saved. And then lastly, what's the extent 
of this commission? How far, how wide, how big is it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I don't think that means that we've got to preach the gospel to, co- to cats and to dogs, <laughs> to every human being, every single person. So think of these disciples. They were Jews, very religious people. So Jesus is saying, it's not just you Jews that need to hear about the salvation that is in me. Everybody has got to hear it. So in the book of Acts, where did they go to? After Jerusalem, the capital, they went to Samaria. No Jew went to Samaria, but these did because the Samaritans needed to hear the gospel. We tend to, don't we, um, like our own people. That's human nature. But once you believe in Jesus Christ, once you realize what this commission is all about, you can no longer be like that. There's a wideness in God's mercy. God's heart is so big that everybody is included in the commission. It doesn't mean everybody is saved, but everybody is included. So it's not just the Welsh that need the gospel. We've got a a wonderful heritage here in Wales of um, revivals and uh, things like that. And the West, with its Judeo-Christian heritage, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. But it's not just the West that needs the gospel. It's every, every people group, even if their heritage is not a Christian one. You see... None of us were born Christians. We may have had our Christian heritage, but we still needed to be born again. We still needed to come to Jesus Christ. And it's the same with people in every corner of the world. They need to hear this gospel. It's not just something for us here. The mission, in a sense, is not just something that we are having every Sunday morning or we are having in our youth meetings or we are having in uh, Roger Carswell mission. It's something that is happening all over the world. Our missionaries are taking this same gospel. You know, we're all in the same position in the end. Sin is a leveler. No matter how young or old you may be, some, some of us have reached... Uh, the wrong side of 50. But that doesn't make any difference. We're in as much need of salvation now as when we were younger. It's not just something for young people. It's for elderly people. In one sense, it's even more for elderly people because they are nearer to eternity. As Mike Meller said last Sunday morning, it doesn't matter what your gender may be. In the end, we're sinners in need of a saviour. That's the first great need. Other things then begin to work themselves out. No matter what our status is in society, 
Uh, it amazes me that the people that Christ chose to lead the church didn't have a status in society. They were the tax collectors, the fishermen. Yes, one of them was very educated, but he was the chief persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, before he became the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter how educated we may be or non-educated. In one sense, those things don't matter in the kingdom. As one person said, I've got a degree, BA, I'm born again. And somebody said, I've also got a PhD, power to heal and deliver. Every, every kind of person needs this gospel. Because we're all in the same boat. And thank God we've all got an opportunity to come to an amazing, all-sufficient saviour. Martin Luther... I'm coming to a conclusion. Martin Luther. This was late in his life. So he'd been a Christian for a long time. And this is what he said. What is the gospel? It is this. That God has sent his son into the world to save sinners. To crush hell, overcome death, take every sin and satisfy the law but what must i do what must i do to be saved nothing but accept this and look up to your redeemer and firmly believe that he has done all this for your good and freely gives you all as your own so that in the terrors of death sin and hell you can confidently say and boldly depend upon it. Although I do not fulfill the law, this is Luther speaking, although sin is still present and I've got doubts and I fear death and hell, nevertheless, from this gospel, I know that Christ has bestowed on me all his works. I am sure he will not lie. His promise he will surely fulfill. Wonderful. He, 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 not me, me, me. Uh, The hymn we sang, I know it was a minor key tune. (laughs) What did the hymnist say? This is what we've got to say. I know that I'm a sinner and better cannot be. I'm poor, unclean and guilty. Oh God, be merciful to me. But it doesn't stop there, does it? I've heard of old. Whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever our nationality, I've heard of old that Jesus, and he's the same today, turns not the greatest sinners, nor publicans, tax collectors away. What do I do? Accept me then, my saviour, as I am. You are my only hope and pardon my transgressions, remembering them no more. Christian, that's your prayer, my prayer, till our dying day. And if you're still outside of Christ, that's what you've got to pray. I'm coming, Lord, as a sinner, and I thank you for coming into the world to save sinners like me. 
and I'm going to put my trust in you. Not just head knowledge, not just agreeing, but I'm going to follow you. Uh, Can I end by quoting somebody who heard this all the way in Chennai in the middle of the 20th century, Baskarao. He's gone to be with the Lord now. And he went to a Christian meeting. He was a Brahmin, the highest caste in Hindu society. And he heard uh, Mr. Azariah explain this gospel. The same gospel in India in the 1950s, as we're hearing today in Cardiff in 2021, as the Lord commissioned the disciples to take into the world in Jerusalem, or was it in Galilee 2,000 years ago? This is what Mr. Azariah suggested to Basca. For God so loved, put your name there, Basca, that he gave his only son, for Basca, that if Basca believes in him, Basca shall not perish, but Basca will have eternal life. And Basca went on to say, something remarkable happened. I had an undeniable feeling that someone was standing next to me, removing a heavy, intolerable burden from my back and throwing it away. It wasn't a vision, but an immense, real feeling. I felt incredibly light and free. I felt overjoyed that this transformation was all God's work, not mine. What's more, this revelation was prompted by God's love for me, not by my devotion or religion or good works. And it was given positively and definitively. I, Basca, will have eternal life. And you will have eternal life if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Tyndale had to say that this gospel is good, merry, glad, joyful news that makes a heart glad and makes one want to dance and leap for joy. May this church ever be a gospel church for his namesake. Amen. Now we're going to close by worshipping our Saviour, by singing that hymn, Great is the Gospel of our glorious God, where mercy met the anger of God's rod. We'll stand and we'll sing in our hearts, please.
authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.